0: Hunter Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 34, where we're talking about our nonfiction shortlist for the Reading Women Award.
1: Woohoo! I'm so excited for the shortlist because I feel like it's a surprise. I do too. Like, <laughs> this was a weird year for nonfiction, and I don't know if it's like there was just so many good fiction books that nonfiction didn't get as much limelight. I don't know. What do you think? Well, from my personal anecdotal
0: experience, <clears throat> uh, I found like a lot more dudes are in nonfiction and not as many women for whatever reason, and I don't know why that is. Mm. Like, I know that, that I mean, there's so, that's such a very scientific
1: way of saying it, but... <laughs> well, you know, I guess it's, uh, I guess that's, uh, might be, this might be a good chance to like throw in a, hey, if anyone has any good nonfiction they've read this year, send it our way whatever. Yeah, we
0: did a lot of research this year and for it, and I feel like we just, like, all the fiction books we had, we had a hard time choosing, and this one instead we were more, like, researching the crap out of all the things and trying to find books that we both really enjoyed and ones that fit our mission, and yeah, so this year we were looking all around for different nonfiction books and ones that we both really enjoyed, but also a wide range of nonfiction books, because we found say there were a lot of memoirs but we wanted to include some like science stuff mm-hmm. and you know just a wide range of a different thing because i don't want to give any spoilers away shall we get to it yeah so i guess i have the first one um and this is the fact of a body by alexandria marzano lesnovich and this is out from Flatiron books and this book is just something else. I don't know what the saying goes, but the man. Okay, so this book is a bit hard to describe because it's a twist of memoir and true crime. So we follow Alexandria. She is in law school, and so she goes down to uh, the South, Louisiana, to intern with this uh, nonprofit that tries to get people off death row and so she meets this guy who is a pedophile and she interviews him and she realized when she interviews him that she actually is repulsed by him and she actually wants him to be on death row and so when her feelings and her like belief system collide uh, she really that really threw her for a loop. And so that really changed really the course of her life. She eventually went uh, and did a creative writing degree, and that's where she is now. So she wanted to talk about why that is. Um, I don't want to mention exactly why that why those two um, really meant a lot for her but part of this is uh her childhood so what she does is like her background and where she came from her family her parents are both lawyers she had this i almost idyllic childhood but her parents and um had some secrets and so that went into that so she parallels uh the guy in prison's life and experience and her own and just blends those together really well
1: yeah and one thing i thought that was really cool about this book is i've I've never read anything like it. That's for sure. It reads almost like little deaths in the sense that it's like, like a thriller kind of story. But then, like, also it's her her life too, which is really fascinating. And she does it so effortlessly. It seems like the way she weaves in and out between the two narratives and like draws conclusions and holds your interest. And I don't know. I I was on the edge of my seat, which you don't really say often for a memoir.
0: Yeah, not definitely not one of those. And I read it in like two sittings. And I will say that there are a lot, a lot of trigger warnings in this book. Because obviously yes. she's dealing with the story of a pedophile, uh, Ricky Langley, and his experience in different things. So just be aware going into that that this book can, is can be really hard to read yes but she does an amazing thing with time is one of the things um mm-hmm. i him out, this was talking about this with someone on twitter and she was just saying like the way that she deals with time and she moves back and forth in time and she goes through ricky's history and then you know her own history and just different things amazing and i really i really did enjoy that um like the skill that she used with that
1: yeah, she's a really good writer and she really did her research too. Like, it's very well documented in the back, like where she got her facts and how and if she changed them and all those things too. So it was, yeah, I was surprised at how much I liked it, quite honestly, because I wasn't sure.
0: This book is something that I heard a bit about when it first came out, but since it came out, I haven't heard a lot about it. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about it. It's hard to it's hard to really talk about this book without going going into spoilers, guys. Just have to trust us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would just say that like you'll probably like without revealing any spoilers. If you like true crime books, then you'll like this book. Yeah, and I think that's probably like the best I can recommend it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and don't so. read blurbs
0: on the internet because most of them spoil it, which is really irritating. And I read it a little before it came out, so I didn't have any of those spoilers. And it really had a more powerful impact on me. And so I think it's very important not to read um, too many blurbs about it, or else you'll, you'll find out some details. And that is all. Yes. So we're very excited to announce the, the first book on our shortlist is The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Mazzano Lesnovich, and that is out from Flatiron.
1: So. So then my first pick is Reading with Patrick by Michelle Kuo, and this book is published by Random House. And I saw this book earlier this spring on some email I got from someone, and I didn't really hear anything about it after that, but I read the blurb, and the blurb was about, it it said something about like, an English teacher in the rural South, and I was like, oh, well, that sounds like something I would be interested in, Um, but I didn't really hear anything about it, and then when we were choosing nonfiction books, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a book that I wanted to read, so I got it. This is just like a really amazing book. It is a memoir, and Michelle was, she had recently graduated from Harvard, and she decided that she was going to Sign up for a semester with Teach for America, and she ended up teaching in a really small town just south of the Well, not just south, like a couple hours south of the Tennessee border in um, Helena, Arkansas. It's like, and then from there, like it's not what you think it would be. Yeah. So Michelle's parents are immigrants from Taiwan. So her being a first generation American, she has some really interesting perspectives on race and on immigration and on just the South in general and just a lot of like just a really unique perspective and so so one of her students is Patrick and like she starts out like you know right out of school like with these like very idealistic like with this very idealistic perspective about what this teaching experience is going to be like and she kind of realizes that really quickly that it's not what she thought it was going to be for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I really
0: appreciated the perspective that she has on the teaching experience. And one of the things that she does really well is she comments on her like past self. And she's like, I had all these ideals. Wasn't I so stupid? Only she says it much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I had this idea of what, um, she has a mostly African-American classroom, and she says, I had an idea of what my mostly black students would need to learn, and I had all of these goals, and that I was going to talk to them about all these things, and it's not actually received very well, and she quickly discovers she needs to take a different tact, and instead of, like, the, we, we're used to the teacher you feel-good stories on, like, the Hallmark Channel, where this, where these where this teacher makes a huge difference in these student lives, but this book takes a totally different turn in how it approaches that kind of topic, and I really appreciate her perspective as an Asian American in, like, the Mississippi Delta-ish region teaching African American students. It's just a really just well-written, like, her perspective on the world and her observations are just amazing.
1: One thing she does, too, that I thought was cool is that she spends a lot of time situating herself and situating her students and situating her re- her region in the, like the historical context i was really actually surprised at like how long the footnote not the footnotes how long the endnotes were and like how much research she did and how much reading she did to just kind of inform her readers about like, you know, the political and social and all different kinds of factors that contributed to like what she was seeing and what she was experiencing, which I thought was really helpful.
0: Yeah. She does an amazing job with that and she has a lot of history of racism against Asian Americans in that area, which I knew obviously nothing about. And she talks about how there's a lack of awareness about a different, you know, ways that Asian Americans experience racism and she does some brilliant parallels um, with that, uh, not just with Asian Americans or African Americans, but with a bunch of you know different minority groups, and I felt like, and sh- she did her you know just a great job of portraying that but also she is very aware that this is her memoir and this is her experience and i don't believe that she does has the mistake that a lot of memoirs do with like making these universal conclusions from her personal anecdote experience she just says you know this is my experience this is what i observed and this is what i learned from it and i thought she just did a great job with that and i think i
1: think i'll just like wrap it up a little bit by saying this that like as we mentioned like she's very self-aware and i'm going to read this one quote that i took a screenshot of because i wanted to because i thought it really really perfectly encapsulated like the tone of the book and so at one point she's like reading poetry with patrick and like she had this practice of like always asking him what his favorite line was there's this keats poem that she she the reading and like she says it like she assumed well she says i was surprised i real when she asked him like and he tells her like which line was his favorite she says i was surprised i realized i had expected he would choose but i being poor have only my dreams how stupid which line he loved what moved him i couldn't know and I think that that was just like such a true statement that like we all come into like these kinds of situations with biases, and often they're wrong. And often, especially when education and reading is talked about, it's like talked about like this silver bullet to solve all problems. And while I do think that reading does change people, like it's not magic. I don't know. Like it doesn't solve all problems. There are other things at play, and there are social factors and things at play so like she's just it was just really good <laughs> i saw a new york times article about this book like a month ago but like other than that i've not seen anyone talking about this book and i'm like no this is so sad like cause this is such a great book so
0: it is especially for anyone who is a teacher or um is into english education or anything like that basically this is this is for you this is perfect
1: very yeah. very very good so that is reading with patrick by Michelle Quo, And the
0: next one on our shortlist is Inferior by Angela Saini, and this is out from Beacon Press. And this book is about the history of the study of women as a science. And so I have been really interested in pop science books recently in the last few years, and I had never seen one on this. And what Angela does is she kind of goes through the history of scientific studies that have been studying women and the difference in gender. And so she starts with really early on with how this one woman wrote um, Darwin and Darwin was basically like, no, women have evolved to be inferior. And and the woman writing him was like, "Uh, no, that's not correct. (laughs) <laughs> and it basically goes from there and the biases that a lot of male scientists have brought to the table when studying gender and that well they come to the table believing that women are inferior and so it talks about like the biases in their studies and it comes all the way up to the present with current studies of gender it was just really great I really really loved it
1: yeah we were when we finished this book I think Kendra you described it best as like the the science version of all the single ladies yeah <laughs> That is basically it. Is yeah. basically it. it's not as long as that. I will say that it's not as long. It's like what two hundred and thirty pages, something like that. It's something pretty like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so I felt like she did a great job of giving you an overview of what science was out there, rather than this deep, really in depth study. So like people like me who aren't scientists and aren't science <laughs> people can understand it and enjoy it, but then aren't overwhelmed by all of these sciencey terms, which.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that there were so many great things about this. And even like what she was talking about, like the biases, and what she was talking about, how there just aren't as many studies done that include women as include men. And like it was this, like there's certain things that like might make you like really mad that like things, these kinds of things actually happen. Like she was talking about like how autoimmune diseases aren't studied as much historically, because historically, women have more autoimmune diseases than men. And so it's like, all these different diseases that like don't get studied yeah. because like mostly women have them and like all this stuff. And I was like, "All right, oh right.
0: yeah, yeah." As oh. everyone could understand, I was so mad when I read that. I, I, I had to stop. I had to stop the audio book. Yeah, I, I was I so was, mad. I was mad too. <laughs> was really and sick. there's another one where she talks about how when they do drug trials, they mostly use men because they're worried about like women possibly being pregnant and then like getting sued and stuff. Yeah. And so there was um it was like like a sleep aid and they found that women were more susceptible because they had like this standard dose and they were like oh women are more sensitive blah 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 so they changed the dose but then they were like oh wait it's because the average woman weighs less than the average man so it's weight not gender and there was like this entire horrible like sequence of events to figure that out and it just shows the biases that science has and how she also talks in the beginning about how there are not a lot of women in science so obviously that means that women's perspective aren't in studies and different things which is really fascinating
1: yeah it made me want to like do some more research because um, like we said it's not super in-depth which i think is good because i think a book like this could really easily become overwhelming if you went too deep into the science yeah than- yeah i think she struck a great
0: balance there I was just appalled and overwhelmed and blown away by the different types of research that is out there. And like the process of a scientific theory becoming a fact was also interesting and how like studies had to be replicated and how that worked and how that looked over the course of history and with women involved and everything. And anyway, I'm going to stop gushing so you can go out and find your own copy of Inferior by Angela Saini.
1: Which that brings us to our sponsor for this episode. And we are so excited to have the Literary Emporium as our sponsor for this episode. And you've probably seen their stuff on the internet somewhere because I first found out about it through, like, different bookstagrammers and stuff. And so we're so thrilled to have them as our sponsor. And I think I first saw these t-shirts that she makes that have, like, they have a Jane Eyre t-shirt that with this, like, really pretty silhouette. And it says, I am no bird. Yeah, that's a really good one. And they have yes. amazing enamel
0: pins, which I am just coveting. Oh, oh my goodness. There is a um there's one from Frankenstein that says, Beware, for I am fearless and therefore powerful. Yes. I want the sweatshirt so badly. That might be my Christmas present to myself. <laughs> we all need Christmas presents to ourselves. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um, and she just released two new pins that are dystopian pins so there's like one from a quote from the the very famous quote from the handmaid's tale which I will butcher the pronunciation if I try to say it so I'm not even going to try um, but she has like beautiful earring, like all kinds of stuff like what would you say Kendra is your favorite thing from her website my favorite thing from her website besides the enamel pins which
0: I've already mentioned would probably be I don't know, she has these Harry Potter notebooks that are like, they look all vintagey and, like, worn, so you could find them in Hogwarts somewhere, like in a dungeon somewhere, and you could pull them out, and um, they have, like, different features on them, so one is, like, uh, p- the Book of Potions, one's the Advanced Spell, so you could, like, have them for your own Hogwarts experience. Um, I might have to get them for Dylan when he goes <laughs> to Hogwarts as an exchange student. Um, you know. They also have postcards and prints, which I'm all for having bookish prints, um, in my house, and there's one of the original illustration of Alice in Wonderland when she's talking to the Cheshire cat, which is one of my favorite literary cats ever. I could probably just spend all my money on this website and be perfectly happy. Though Dylan will be upset because I spent all his treat money, but,
1: Well, you know. I'm sure he'd get over it eventually. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe not. Might. Maybe he'd not.
0: he chew my books as a punishment or retribution.
1: <laughs> um, another thing I, we forgot to mention that I wanted to just note is that she also has different collections on her website. So she has like an Alice in Wonderland collection or a Bronte collection, a feminist collection, a Gothic literature collection, Jane Austen, Harry Potter inspired and Oh, a Virginia Woolf section too. So like, if you have a favorite, I know. So if you have like a favorite author or something, you can go and like see everything in one place and yeah, it's cool. Um, So we're really excited to have her as our sponsor and they have graciously given us a, promo code for the reading women. So you can use the promo code reading women, 15 to get 15% off your purchase. And this is a great time. Like I'm sure a lot of you might be starting your Christmas shopping already. So like, Definitely hop on this. I'm definitely going to be getting some Christmas presents. Um, And we will have a link to her website in our show notes. So go check it out. Um, Beautiful stuff. You won't be disappointed. So then the next book on our list is Tell Me Everything You Don't Remember by Christine Young Oak Lee. And if you remember, um, we interviewed Christine earlier this year, and we were delighted to talk to her. And she has a really incredible story. What happened was is she woke up one morning with a headache. And by that afternoon, like, everything was upside down, like, <laughs> like <the> upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making that connection as I'm talking. That was a little Stranger Things Easter egg for you all. Moving on. Um. So like by so that was in on December thirty first, and by New Year's Day, she was like completely like couldn't put sentences together. Was like completely like disoriented, and um, come to find out, she'd had a stroke, and she was only what like thirty something like yeah, that. Yeah, she was around
0: thirties, really young, obviously for Very a stroke. young.
1: So this memoir c- follows her recovery process and kind of like how she reorients her life afterwards. And the interesting thing is like there's a theme that runs through it. She uses a quote and passages from Slaughterhouse Five, but there's a quote in Slaughterhouse Five where Josh is gonna kill me, but I can't remember his name. But one of the characters says that he's uh, um says that he is unstuck in time. And so she uses that phrase as a way to like talk about how like how she was like completely unmoored from time and unmoored from herself and like because she's like operating outside of time, like the struggles that she had to work through with that. It was just really
0: an incredible story. It was, it is. It's a very amazing story. And I loved how she talked about how writing helped her remember things because she said she would put like a, a pot on the stove to boil and she would forget it was there. And she'd turn around and be like, oh, why is this there? And she would write stuff down to herself, like dear Christine in the future, basically. Like she would write down the stuff happening and, and writing helped her actually come out Um, and recover from it. But also, um, she also talks about how even though she is recovered uh, from her stroke, that she still has, you know, has to be careful because she's basically still living with a chronic illness. She's living with this thing that she was recovered from. And, I mean, I don't think you ever can 100% bounce back from something like that. So I really appreciated her take on a chronic illness and um, recovering from that kind of thing because I don't think we have a lot of stories about people dealing with long-term chronic illnesses especially ones this rare
1: right and especially being so young and she kind of talks to about how difficult it was to be so young and to be working through this recovery process so she just kind of um talks about the process of recovery and um i don't know if we, we like i said we interviewed her earlier this year so if you want to like kind of hear her take on it um definitely go back we'll and listen to that and yeah
0: yeah it it is It is really good, and she also talks about what it's like to have, like, for the caretakers of someone who's struggling with something like that, because, I mean, she was out of work for a long time, and she couldn't remember things, and she was basically uh, reverted back to a childlike state, so she felt like she was, like, rebirthed in a lot of ways, and she had to develop, and it, there's just so much going on, so, um, yeah, I just, I'll just stop. I mean, I just couldn't gush about every single one on, these list, on this list, guys, so I, I think you guys are used to it by now.
1: So that was Tell Me Everything You Don't Remember by Christine Kyung Oakley. And the next
0: one is actually a graphic memoir, and that is The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie, And that is out from Abrams. and. This is just an amazing memoir about uh, T's life, but actually, I guess, more about her parents' life. Uh, She is Vietnamese-American, and so her parents immigrated from Vietnam right after the war ended. And so she actually goes back in time and goes to her parents' childhoods and what it was like before the war, during the war, and after the war, and what it was like to immigrate to America. And I thought she did such a great, great job with this memoir.
1: And... Can we just say that it's beautiful? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, she these amazing like watercolors uh, throughout the entire thing. And whenever she uses more color than she usually does, uh, you can tell it means something. Like she's communicating meaning with her color choice.
1: I haven't read many graphic novels in general for a graphic memoir, too. Like, I, I don't really know what I was expecting, but, like, man, it was, like, really emotional to read. And something about, like, she recreated sketches of like her parents and her siblings, like pa- photos that were in like their immigration papers and, and like recreated her neighborhood and like the child she grew up or the, her childhood home and all these things. And it's just like, oh man, something about like seeing it, like you just can't ignore it. Uh, she does such a great job of communicating cultural
0: difference Uh Vietnamese culture. If you think about from a Amer- traditional like American Western culture is so different, especially the family dynamic and how that works and their, this, what is cultural norms there. And she just did a great job of communicating that in such a clear way. And I just love that. And she also communicates a very t- difficult topic, which is the Vietnam War, incredibly well. She doesn't let either side off the hook. And she really, I think, give a very balanced view, especially considering that when we hear about the Vietnam War as Americans, we usually hear about it from the... Um, like, white American military perspective, and she is talking about the war from an actual Vietnamese family's perspective, which I think we definitely need more stories like that.
1: Yeah, and, like, it's—she, too, talks in the the story about, like, the difficulty she had in actually telling her story and how she's tried—she tried a couple times to do it and, like, couldn't do it, and I don't know. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It is, and i every
0: every new chapter and section, I was just overwhelmed with how well she handled difficult topics in a way that was relatable and universal and understandable, and just how she did that through a graphic like medium, like how she did it through a visual medium as well as with her words and um I don't think I've liked a graphic memoir as well as this one um since I read um fun home, there we go. Mm. So yeah, it it just it's just really a moving memoir and I haven't really seen it that many places either and I just think more people should be talking about it. It's really good.
1: I'd expected to like spend a couple days reading it and I think I read it in like two sittings, something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is I don't know,
0: like her storytelling is really good the pacing is really good and the forward momentum is really good and she jumps back and forth in time to kind of like to have present her reflect on past parents stories and then how her parents are like now and how that's explained by what they went through and their history and different things and everything about it is just so informative and it's just a really good story so that is um the best we
1: could do by t Bowie, and out from abrams And then the last book on our list, last but not least, is Hunger, A Memoir of My Body by Roxane Gay. And this book is published by Harper. And okay, so, moment of truth, this is the first Roxane Gay book I've ever read. What a one to start on, Autumn. (laughs) I know. Uh, Kendra's been saying for forever that I need to read Roxane Gay, and I just hadn't because I don't know. I don't have a good reason, quite honestly. Hunger is her, obviously, like her memoir. And she t- talks about basically her relationship with, well, I mean, it's, a oh man, like it's, you can't really encapsulate it. The title comes from her describing her relationship with food. But then also like, it it's also like on a different level, like a hunger she had for lots and lots and lots of different things. I will say that this memoir does have quite a few things that could be triggering for people. Um, she talks about sexual assault, and she talks about... I will say before I go any further that there are some triggering things in here that that happened to her, um, like sexual assault that happened to her when she was um, in middle school, and then like... Um, gang rape too so like if that's something you're sensitive to just be aware of that going into it but like it's a really pivotal part of her story and so she shows how that's really affected a lot of the things that have happened in her life and I like the thing is is like she just writes with such a grace you know like that's the thing I think I came away with from reading this book is like she's had a lot of really tragic things happen in her life and but the way she talks about them is just really um I don't know like the only word I can think of is like she just writes with such grace I don't know how else to describe it
0: yeah and the way that she expresses herself and the way that she talks about weight and and her struggle with weight that it's not just a weight issue that the stems from what happened to her and so it's not just something it's not just the physical aspect of it it's also the psychological aspect of it and just dealing with that and then also like how her family dealt with that and how the things that she wished she could have done and just a lot of different things about her life that you know she just talks about in a frank way but she's also very gracious towards other people in her story and um I don't know just the way she expresses herself is also very humorous Mm -hmm. so she's able to lighten up the book um as well when you know need be and just you just write so beautifully like on a sentence level as well
1: yeah it does have a really good rhythm to it because it could be a very very dark book and it is in a lot of ways but like kinder said like she it has very has a very good rhythm so like you can read it and like there's moments of lightness and you know mixed in within these like heavier darker moments so it's uh yeah, I was just blown away. Yeah, and I, I when I really like a
0: book, I underline and add sticky notes, and so I used a pink like a bright pink pen for this one so I thought Roxanne would like that <laughs> and so I uh, just have so many notes from this book and underlined so many things and just the structure of it is, is really well done and the different parts and the different focuses that she does and um, just the whole thing is just really well thought out and so I'm glad she took the extra like six months or whatever it was to edit the draft mm. of this book and then to the final um, version because it is definitely well, well worth the wait
1: and I think, too, like it was helpful for me. I read this one and then I read Difficult Women and I felt like it helped me kind of understand her writing a little bit better, knowing about her experiences and kind of like her journey to becoming a writer. Because she also talked about that in her book about like how she kind of came to write and all that, too. So highly Highly recommend, obviously.
0: Yeah, and and this is one we all know how Autumn talks about how she met Jasmine Ward that one time. <laughs> well, I can say, well, I met Roxanne Gay that one time. Is this is true. And she was lovely, and she talked about uh, Ina Garten and Channing Tatum, obviously. Because what else would Roxanne Gay talk about? <laughs>
1: well, she's <laughs> obviously going to include Ina Garten and in, uh, Channing Tatum, so. I expect nothing less
0: because she's amazing
1: yes so definitely go and get a copy of hunger a memoir of my body by Roxane Gay and that's
0: it that's a short list
1: I can't believe it oh my goodness it always goes so fast It does.
0: It really does. So I'm really excited about all of these books. So stay tuned. We have some Q and A's planned with our shortlisted authors for you to check out. So keep an eye on our website and on our newsletter so you can read those. Because yeah, we've been really excited about all of these authors and their works.
1: So that is our show. Um, Be sure to join us on December the sixth, where we will be announcing the winners the nonfiction, and the fiction winners for the Reading Women Award for 2017. And we'd also like to say a special thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Literary Emporium, and we will have links to the promo code and to the website in our show notes, so be sure to check that out. And as always, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram, etc., at Autumn Privet, and you can find Kendra Winchester at kd winchester and thank you again for listening to the reading women podcast and if you haven't reviewed us wherever you listen to this podcast if you could drop us a review that'd be great it really helps more people find our podcast we will talk to y'all next time bye guys
0: Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So up
1: Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Danler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This
0: is Storybound. Story Storybound. Storybound. This is the Storybound podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday featuring writers like Stephanie Danler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hear in a great story is having someone to share it with.